Hi everyone and welcome back to the Purposeful Provision podcast. We're talking all about language and I am joined by Paula Rhodes today. So hi Paula, welcome. Hello, thank you. Um, so Paula, you're here to, today to talk about language with us. Um, can you start off though telling us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Of course. So I'm um, an early years qualified teacher. Um, I did my degree about 12 years ago now, which is terrifying. Um, and I wanted to work with special needs children, but there wasn't that option to do a degree in SEN teaching at that point. So I did an early years teaching course because I thought that that would teach me how children learned. Um, and I was right. And then I did my I did quite a lot of supply work, working in um, nurseries and reception classrooms after I qualified. And then I did my NQT year in a special school, um, actually working with older children. But because of their learning disability they're working within the EYFS framework um and then from there I became the lead teacher in the special in the EYFS department at the special school um so we had about 25 kids three teachers lots of support staff all the children had autism um and a significant learning delay um and they were aged between sort of three and seven and then I moved on from that and was the lead of complex communication and autism department in the special school um, again, working with older children, but within the EYFS framework still because of their learning age. Um, and now I'm an assistant head in that school, in a special school, um, and I lead on curriculum. But I also have a class and my class are autistic and they are all nursery, nursery two to year two. There's 11 of them at the moment. Um, and yeah, they've got that mixed age group. Wow. You have an awful lot of plates that you are spinning. <laughs> it's very busy. It's lots of fun, though. Um, and, like, realistically, you know, my class, what we do is play because that's ha- what the children need to do to learn. Um, we join them in their play. Um, and so that's really fun. You know, that's the best bit of the job, really. Absolutely. Um, so we're going to talk about language today, um, Paul. So what I try to do is I try to get people to give me their definition, basically, of whatever the the topic or the theme is. So um, what is language to you? Um, so I would say that language is a form of communication. Um, I think there's lots of different types of communication and languages and speech is one of them, um, basically. Um, like other things that you know if you work with children who are pre-verbal or non-verbal then so much of their communication is either through their behavior or through their eye contact or their um, they can use symbols they can use gestures um, and just kind of their interactions with you as a as an adult as well in that situation it's not just about what they say Um, and my I never feel like my job is to teach them to talk but I do want to teach them to communicate. Yeah, that makes sense. It's beautiful. Um, something you mentioned just a second ago, though, about behaviour and how behaviour is a kind of language with communicating. Mm-hmm. This It's something I picked up on on Twitter where there's an element of pushback about how behaviour is a form of language. For your children your learners, how... Can you give me an example of, of sort of the kind of behaviours you think that would demonstrate an element of language? Maybe maybe drawing on an experience you've had or perhaps just making one up is fine, but it's just give me an idea of what you mean by behaviours of language. Yeah, um, I think there's, there's some... People have different opinions on what behaviour means. I would say that all behaviour is communication. So whether that's positive behaviour, like getting excited and jumping up and down and clapping your hands, that's behaviour. 
or whether it's a more a less desirable behavior um like hitting somebody that's still communicating something and so obviously we don't want to teach the kids to hit somebody um obviously so you know if a child doesn't want to do something and they're distressed about whatever that is and they're the only way they have to tell the adult that they're distressed about it is to hit them then what I then try and do is to teach them a more socially acceptable way okay basically to say what they want to say because then that will make their lives easier as they go up so you know in if it was a mainstream toddler and I have one of those <laughs> at home and uh, if she's cross about something then she might hit me and she'll say no and stamp her foot and maybe give me a push and then and I'll model and say oh you mean no thank you mummy okay well we don't have to do that then and the same with children with additional needs like if they can't speak and say and they, you know me saying no thank you to them is not going to be useful but giving them a symbol that says stop and modeling how to use that so the next time they can give you the symbol to say stop that is so the behavior that they come up with is kind of the best way they can find to let you know how they feel and then it's our job to give them um an easier way basically a way that's acceptable to all adults and something that can be understood by everybody I completely agree I think it's I mean it's a role for us for all children isn't it really but um I think it seems to be a message that's lost as children get a bit older I think it's really easy to see in a little child and also they probably won't hurt you so my two-year-old giving me a bit of a push on the knees isn't doesn't upset me and it doesn't hurt me and I'm not frightened and so I can respond in a a non-judgmental way but when you have a 16 year old who has still the you know the developmental understanding of a two-year-old if you know or lower but it's quite frightening to be pushed or shouted at or hit by them and so then the adults working with them can find it really challenging to understand that it's like a two-year-old reaction and not a teenager's reaction. Mm. Um, And obviously nobody comes to work to get injured and I'd never want that to be the case for any of the people I work with, but it's about how we teach them not to do that and how we respond in in a supportive way to that child. Okay, Paula, so you're here today to talk to us about one particular strategy. So can you introduce your strategy to us, please? Okay, so I'm going to be talking about intensive interaction, um, which is actually an approach um, to teach the pre-speech fundamentals of communication. Um, it's not just for children, it's used with children and adults, um, with, and tends to be people who've got severe learning disabilities, um, so can't or who don't find it easy to communicate um, on people with autism. So it was developed in the 80s um, by Dave Hewitt um, and Melanie Nind, um, and they were teachers at a special school, um, and they carried out sort of intensive interaction research projects as part of the development of the school, really. And it's just grown from there. And so now then, and I'd, you know, I'd really recommend anybody would Google it, go to the Intensive Interaction Institute online and have a look at all of the information and the training opportunities there I don't work for them but it is fabulous and there's so much information um and so intensive interaction as a practitioner is about joining a child or a, per- a young person or an adult in their activity whatever that is um and 
and making yourself a part of that activity so if you've got a child who's sat in the sand playing in the sand then you'd go and sit in the sand with them and I guess imitate what they're doing but it's not ever in a mocking way and I've and I know that some people worry that they might be seen as you know making fun of the child and that sort of thing and there's been some backlash about that but that isn't what it's about it's about being delighted with what the child's actions are and wanting to join in um so if you've got a child who's in the sand and they're sprinkling the sand then you go in the sand as well and sit down at their level or beneath them um and sprinkle the sand as they sprinkle the sand and if they stop and wait and watch you then you can stop and wait and watch them and if they pull a face then you can join in with that face pulling if they make a sound then you can join in with that sound and it's it's very similar to how a parent might interact with a very young baby who's right at the beginning of their journey into communication um and you know if your baby in your arms sticks their tongue out and blows a raspberry then you'd be delighted and you'd do it back and you're like oh that's amazing you're so brilliant because you can do that with your face and I want to do that too and kind of what that then teaches the the person you're interacting with is that you are fun and you like the same things that they like um and often the way I describe it to to staff at my school is if as a you know as an as an adult if I went into the staff room um and I sat down next to my friend uh and I you know they were talking about their makeup and what happened on Love Island and having a lovely conversation about that and I went in and instead of joining in with their conversation said oh did you see that in the men's rugby final this happened and they were like no no I don't really watch rugby but did you see Love Island I'm like no we're talking about rugby then they might not want to talk to me anymore whereas if I came in and joined in and said oh yeah Love Island that was amazing did you see what happened then we've got a two-way conversation that we're both engaged with and that's how we just automatically know how to do that as adults, how to interact and share and join in with each other in a positive way. And so that's what we're trying to teach. We're trying to teach these kids, oh, look, you're playing in the sand and that's awesome. And I'm going to come and play in the sand too. And we can have a really nice time. And look, when you do something, I can do it. And then you can do it. And then as they do that, then teachers like turn taking. Um, it, it teaches them to give attention to you even if it's only for a second because they're interested in what you're doing because it's the same thing that they're doing um and so then they learn to share attention which is really important in a classroom but also in it's really important in any kind of interaction with another person and then they might learn over a long time they might learn to extend those attentions and be, really begin to concentrate on another person and then that might turn into doing activities together and you know then we've got classroom skills coming but the whole point of it isn't to say right I want this child to learn to sit at a table and do some maths you're teaching them about social communication and how to enjoy and have fun with another person um and this was designed for children with or and people with severe learning disabilities um and autism and severe autism where they're you know pre-verbal but actually it's totally usable with people with language because that's it's basically a conversation if you were gonna work with somebody who did have speech and use intensive interaction then you wouldn't be mimicking every word they said but you'd be having a two-way 
conversation but based on what they want to talk about so not trying to as an adult you're not trying to guide the conversation to be about your interests or you're not saying oh look you're doing trains let's count how many trains there are you're like oh wow that's a train and they say it is a train say wow what a cool train and you join them it's about what they're doing lovely um it reminds me of something that I've been talking about quite a lot with people, which is meeting the children where they are yeah. and not expecting them to meet you where you are. Because as adults, we have these preconceived ideas about what children are going to do. So, for example, you just mentioned sort of coming to do an, a maths activity, doing some counting. But actually, if the children are not interested in that or they're not ready for that or for whatever reason, it's not really what they want to do in that moment. It's much better to try and meet them where their interests are, or, you know, where they're physically are in the room, especially with our young children in early years, because it's going to be a much easier pass a pathway towards learning that's useful for them, especially around that social interaction. That's beautiful. Um, just a follow, a couple of follow up questions. So you mentioned about using this with children with additional needs or with adults with additional needs, uh-huh. and obviously much younger children as well. If you had a class or a group of children who um, or a bit of a mixed bag. So you have some children with additional needs, some children who perhaps um, have more complex needs but don't have any any sort of one-to-one support. Um, how do you think it's, I mean, how would you deploy yourself in terms of a practitioner? I'm just thinking if you've got a practitioner who maybe has a group of, say, five or six children, one child who would really benefit from this strategy, but that practitioner works either by themselves or with limited support. Could this be something a person could do in, in short snippets? Or do you think this is something that would have to last for or should last for the entire session? So I I think it is possible. It is certainly harder if you have kind of less adults. But the same way you'd want to give kind of every child in your, um, in your class some one-to-one attention. And I think if it was limited one-to-one attention, then, you know, it, it's it's... You, you just do it as much as you can. Um, and I don't think it needs to be limited to classroom time either. So, you know, we'd do intensive interaction, during feeding times, during toileting, um, you know, obviously appropriately. But you can, you just need to make the most of whatever time you can. And it's the same, you know, if you've got um, a nursery with a baby room, there's often you know, maybe six babies, two adults, but every baby gets some one-to-one attention from their key worker. Um, and you, you kind of have to think of it like that. So whatever opportunity you do have to engage in kind of one-to-one social interaction with a child, you make the most of it. If you have children whose attention spans say are not as long, um, so for example, like I've had practitioners in the past who would attempt to follow children for 30 40 even 60 minutes at a time um but the children don't really need them to be there for that long um have you had experience of this where maybe children don't necessarily need to have a person there for that long maybe just a short period of time yeah so there's a little boy in my class this year who can really only tolerate about 30 seconds of intensive interaction and then he becomes overwhelmed um and has to leave the situation which is absolutely fine and when he first started with us in September last year he couldn't really cope at all with any kind of interaction with an adult um like he just wanted to line his cars up 
and be left alone to do that and that was what was comfortable for him um and so actually it's huge progress for him to tolerate 30 seconds of intensive interaction and i'll just whenever i've got a spare second i'll join in what he's doing and we'll do a tiny bit and then he'll move on and then a bit later i might do a little bit more when i've got a spare minute and you know it, it's very much ad hoc i think there's a bit of a misconception that you have to you know take a child on a timetable into a quiet room and you have to have matching instruments um so you both have a shaker and you both have a rainmaker and then as an adult you'd copy what they did with those instruments but you don't need anything to do intensive interaction you just need a sensitive person to be the interaction partner um and it works by progressively developing like enjoyable and relaxed interaction sequences between the two of you and as you repeat it and they can grow in duration they can grow in complexity and sophistication and then that's how the fundamentals of communication are rehearsed beautiful i completely agree i think that's amazing um before we finish um i've just got one more question so we have mentioned about how some adults might feel uncomfortable with intensive interaction as if you're almost making fun of the children mm-hmm. um thinking outside of a setting when you've used intensive interaction with children, how have parents responded to it? Um, do they see it as a positive thing? Do they need a little bit more explanation? Have they found it difficult to watch? Have you had any issues at all with parents? I think because it's based on um, what a parent would do with a baby, it's important to be sensitive how you explain what you're doing to parents because the implication isn't that the parent has done anything wrong like that child hasn't missed out on babyhood they just need a little bit more practice in the things that um a mainstream child might learn in babyhood um and so i think that's the main area where i've i've had to be quite careful with how i explain it to parents because i don't want them to think oh she's coming in saying that when my baby was when my child was a baby I didn't interact with them properly and that's absolutely not the implication um in terms of the the imitation I think when you see it in action you see that it's 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 joyful and the children love it um and parents often say oh my gosh it's like it's like you speak their language no one's ever spoken their language before and so um people really parents of young children really when they see it I think it's harder when you get a 16 year old or a 17 year old you know you know teenager it doesn't it doesn't doesn't come as naturally to people to interact with bigger children that way um because just because of like what our experiences in society um but again I think as long as you can you can show that you're joyful and you're enjoying it and it's you know it's a two-way it's a shared experience it's not something you're doing to that child then um then parents you know they do they do understand I think the main issue I found that staff have is that it's it doesn't feel like work <laughs> so people think that they should be you know making sure the children get to the toilet and back in time so they can be in the classroom doing their um you know their their tabletop activities and so when I'm like, it's okay, you can relax. You know, you can join them in this activity. You can sit on the floor next to them in the corridor um, and, you know, pull faces at each other and have a lovely time. And people are like, but it doesn't feel like I'm doing anything. We're having too much fun. This isn't, this isn't learning. 
And so that's where where practitioners often struggle because they're like, this is too much fun. This is too easy. This can't be work for me. Um, whereas obviously it is because it teaches the children to play and to love social interaction. And that's, you know, before you can do anything else, you need to have those skills. Absolutely. And it's, I love that you mentioned so many times that like, it's a joyful experience. It's not something that's done to the children. It's it's a joyful experience for both. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you're not having fun as an adult, then you're not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Lovely, Paula. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um, if people wanted to reach out to you to find out more or to connect with you, um, do you have any social media channels that they could connect to you with? Uh, yes, I have um, an Instagram account um, and I can be contacted on that which is um, RV Education. Lovely, Paula. Thank you very much for joining me today. Um, Stay safe and hopefully things will continue to work out well for you in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.